disobedience, that's good, and disobedience because of what? Um, the lie was, yeah, the, the, the devil believed to lie himself. He's the father of lies, but, you know, he, he literally believed somehow he could get worship instead of giving it to God. Um, how, how many know what else it was? Pride, that's good. You're all right so far. No, if you're wrong, we're going to throw stones at you. But What else? Rebellion, unbelief, fear, keep going. We're going to get there. Here's a hint. Um, grab yourself right there. Do that. The flesh. <laughs> that was part of the problem. Now, you can say they didn't actually technically have flesh, Pastor, because somehow it says that God gave them a covering. So some people think there were just no flesh there. I'm just going to tell you, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Later on, it gives us that synopsis of how sin entered into the world in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, that's exactly what happened. She looked and she saw that it was good and able to make one wise. See? And then more she meditated on it. And then here come the devil, the old serpent, crafty, and, and gives her this little, has God said? Have you ever heard that? Has God said? Oh, do you really have to do this? Oh, why can't you do this? Hey, you can be forgiven. I grew up knowing that every Saturday night I could go and be forgiven, so it didn't matter how I lived all week long. Come on. That's the truth. So it's kind of like a vulnerable message this morning, but it's also a message about ownership. See? So here's what uh, I'm going to... I titled this for, for any reason, or you, in case they're taping. I called it No Skin Off My Back. Really? You ever heard that phrase? No skin off my back. What's that mean? No skin off my back. Yeah, I don't have to take the punishment. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Whatever. Really? Really? No, no, whatever? In chapter 24 of Second Samuel, we're going to read it all. Some of it will be up on the wall, not all of it. So if you need and you want to follow along, I'm reading from the same version that's under the chairs. That's a New Living Translation. So if you don't have a Bible, you can get one. If you don't have one near you, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. 2 Samuel chapter 24. David is king, and he's coming really to the end of his reign. Just because he's getting old, he's been doing it for long enough, some 40 years. And so what it says is, I like this word, how it starts out in the New Living Translation. It says, once again, it's right there on the board. We're going to actually put it up here in several translations, and I want you to pick out some key words that you'll notice with different translations. That's why there are different translations. Some don't like different translations. They only like this version or that version. I'm just going to tell you that, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to look at some. Don't make your hard, fast doctrines based on what you like that tickles your ears. Go with, I go back to original Greek or Hebrew is what I go back to. And that's the right thing to do. If you don't give a rip about all that, then that's okay. Um, trust the preacher. Oh, yeah, right, whatever. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. Now, hold it there. Once again, do you get that? Once again, do you know that God's been ticked off at creation more than once? You know, way back at Noah's flood, he says, I, I wish I just never would have even made them. See? 
this has happened where I'm going to say that you've probably made God angry more than once in your life. You think? Sometimes knowingly. I don't care what he thinks. Let him, maybe then he'll show up. Mm, You don't want to go there. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And what? If there's one thing I don't like about the New Living Translation, which I do in mine, but I don't, we don't always catch it on the wall, is I don't like the fact when they don't capitalize he and him. When it's talking about God, I like it that it, that should be a capital H-E, he caused, because it's God caused. How about that? Doesn't that mess with us somehow? And he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Do you understand God was behind that? One of the things that you found in David is David is absolutely obedient to God. He's going to do what God said. Oh, okay. No, he's not always absolutely obedient, was he? Because he's a man who sinned, who committed adultery, birthed a child. See? He, he did stuff. He had blood on his hands, so he can't build the temple. Well, that's because he was a warrior king. Well, here it says, and God caused David to harm them by taking a census. Let's go to another translation. Now again, the anger of the Lord. Not once again, but now, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and it incited David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Can you think about why that would would anger God, the idea that, that he would want them to number Israel and Judah? Do you think, what about that? Do you have a problem with God inciting David against the people that he chose? Anybody? You you should have. That should be dilemma. Let's go to another translation. Once again, God's anger blazed out against Israel. He tested David by telling him, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Tested David. That's a good word. You know the Bible says God doesn't tempt anyone. It's not a matter of tempting him. He's testing him. Now, now, here's what it ought to cause you to think about. I'm going to give you a summary of all this at the very end. There's about five or six main points out of this one passage. Okay? That is this. It says, once again, he tested David. Do you ever think that sometimes in the permissive will of God, when God is allowing you to do something or get away with something or make a decision, and you might even say, God has said... Have you ever thought if you should really do that? See, some people don't. Some people will take that and say, God said, and then they'll, they'll do it. But the Bible says, test that spirit. So when Bible says, that means God says, go ahead and test that. There's a good way. We'll wrap that up in just a few minutes. Uh, do we have one more? And again, we like this version better because it's bigger. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved. You know, I love what he says. When you hear that word kindled, here's what it should invoke, is when in the New Testament specifically, he's quoting back to Isaiah, and Isaiah's prophesying because God ain't happy. See? And Isaiah is telling the people how God ain't happy and this is going to happen. And Jeremiah tells them and Ezekiel tells He's sending all kinds of voices to say, I'm not happy. 
But, but Isaiah quotes it, and Jesus later quotes it, and he says, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. See, it's the very thing that we trust that if we just got a little smoldering Jesus going on, little smoldering spirituality in us, that that'll be okay. See, it's better than being cold or being the fire. There's no evidence of fire or flame. See? So a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. See, a bruised reed he would not break off. See, we would decree that that's not, that's not good enough. But even here, that same word kindled is that same concept that God says, even if they're, they're morons, even if they're sinning against me, even if they're being foolish, even if they're, they're, they're darkened in their understanding, even if they're choosing the wrong things, in me, I've got this that I put a spark of life in them and there will be a remnant no matter what. And I'm going to help them figure a way out of the mess that they got themselves into. Wow. So when it says it was kindled against Israel, that's simply because he decided he would not put their fire out. Do you know that's how he is toward you and me? He says, I could snuff your little stinking life out, but I'm not going to. I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to help you make right choices. I'm going to lead you to righteousness. I'm going to draw you. You'll create such a hunger in you. You'll get so sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're going to bow the knee and you're going to humble yourself and you're going to cry out to me. And in the day that you cry out to me, I will hear you. I will be found by you when you search for me with your whole heart. Wow, God's calling us back to that kind of devotion. So when we find that the fire's not there and we can't even figure out how and we've been fanning the flame, we've been doing all kinds of other stuff and we can't figure out why that fire's gone and we know that our eyes are growing dim and we know that we're sleepy spiritually, that there's still something in us that says God's going to revive us again. He's going to renew us again. Guess why? Because he's the refiner. He's the one who's in charge of the heat. Huh? He turns the burner up. Why? Because you need it. And if you need it and you didn't ask for it, guess what he'll do? He'll turn it up anyway. You know why? Because of this thing called his everlasting love. His everlasting love. That the anger of the Lord burns against us. But let me tell you, it's only tempered by the love of the Lord that is kindled for you. You know that? You get both. You don't get one. He doesn't take you into the grave and leave you there. He's going to bring you back out of there. That's just the way he is. If you don't like that, if you just want him to step on you while you're down, he isn't going to do it. He refuses to. Instead, when you humble yourself, what does he say? He'll do. He'll exalt you. He'll raise you up. Come up here, my child. Come up here, my son. Without the repentance thing. He doesn't, that's not it. He doesn't wait for you to repent to, to get the forgiveness. He actually gives it first. He loved us before we loved him. You get it? That's the way God is. Well, I didn't get very far on these 25 verses or whatever. Let's go, ready? Verse two. We won't take that long on this one. Come on. Sad. Just tell me sad, pastor. It's sad. (laughs) So the king said to Joab, the commanders of the army, and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the tribes of Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. I love the specificity of God. Yeah, when he's specific, 
I love when he gets specific and he gives them these, these things to go. He wants to make sure that they have understanding of just how vast, how big, what I want you to do. Sometimes when we're vague, when, when you don't have a clear understanding, don't go anywhere yet. You wait until you get understanding. You see what I mean? Don't go with the first thing you heard. Test that spirit. So it says, take a census of all the tribes from Dan in the north uh, to Beersheba in the south so I may know how many people there are. There's a reason for that, and there's a reason why that's not good. And here it comes. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. First they crossed the Jordan and camped at Er south of the town in the valley in the direction of Gad. Then they went to Jazer, then to Gilead in the land of Tadim Hodshai, and to Danjan and around to Sidon. Then they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Finally, they went south to Judah as far as Beersheba. If you had a map and you were looking on it of the ancients, you would see those territories and how they went throughout the whole land. Having gone through, verse 8 tells you that, Having gone through the entire land for nine months and 20 days, they returned to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of people to the king. There were 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword and 500,000 in Judah. Well, that's cool. Don't you think? I mean, you'd feel good if you had an army that big. Now, David, here's the thing. If you know the history of David and Israel, David was just out there winning. He was a winner. He was a victorious king. He was a conquering king. You know, for the largest part of his life, he he brought a unified Israel, Judah and Israel. He brought them together and actually had a united kingdom, one of the strongest in in history, under his rule and his reign. He was was the, the king with blood on his hand, but he was used to winning. He was just a winner. Did he really need to count his armies? Normally, you would count your armies before you go to battle. You would take a census so you knew your strength so that when you went into battle. But God had spoken to David early on and said, here, I'll give you the battle plan. You just follow it out. I'll give you the battle plan. And on more than one occasion, the Bible actually gives that account of David. And he says, should I go up this way, straight forward? Should I just, boom, we're going in, blitzkrieg? That's the way they, they could do it because God was fighting on their behalf. He was on their side. And, and, and this one, it says, no, no. He says, you just wait. You remember what he was waiting for? He was waiting for the wind, and he was waiting for the sound in the myrtle tree. And he says, when you hear that sound, he said, you go this way, roundabout. We'd call it a flanking motion, actually. So he says, you go around this way. And what happened is their marching was, was made even louder by the sound of the myrtle trees and the rustling, and it confused the Philistines on this occasion. They didn't know who was coming and how many were coming. And actually, you know what happened then? Yeah, fear gripped their hearts. Huh? <laughs> they didn't want to face the consequences of what they'd heard. Do you know you and I, God wants you and I as an army? He wants us to go forward. He wants it to be that those who tread in the dark places, that those who commit grievous sins, that, that those people would actually be fearful of the army of God who is, who is sent out and among the people? 
Not because we're going to slay them, not because we're going to do evil, because of the righteousness of Christ. That they'll see Christ in you and they'll be drawn to it. See, people who want to give an over to evil don't want to do that. They don't want to look at righteousness. Amen? So, here it is, verse 10. After he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. How many of you have a conscience? I used to call it conscience, um, and it is, but it's actually the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and brings conviction. Amen? So let's give him credit because that's what it is. It's conviction. It's a convicting by God, not a judgment of man, a conviction that comes from God. Amen? So it says conviction it began to bother him. His conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Now, let me ask you, what was foolish about taking the census? Do you know? I mean, didn't we read in verse 1 that it was God's idea? God said, take a census. So now all of a sudden, David's guilty in his conscience, and he's, he's asking God to forgive him. But all he was doing is being obedient to God. I'm trying to create a dilemma for you. Okay? We're going to come out of it. Trust me, we're not going to leave you there. So look at what happened. I'm going to tell you in a minute why that's foolish. The next morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. Hello, we don't really want to hear from God when he talks like that, do we? Huh? No, no, did I hear the word punishment? Did I hear the word discipline? Did I hear the word bad somehow? Um, Let's find another church. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. There's something weird going on with this narrative that is God's idea, and because he did what God told him to do, He's angry at Israel, and all of a sudden, now, you're coming to me, and you're going to inflict it on me. And it's going to be at my hand that people suffer. So Gad said to David and asked him, Will you choose three years of famine throughout your land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. See, I'd be questioning this seer now. I'd be saying, no, wait a minute. How am I... To, to even know that that's God's word because I've listened to God's word before and now you're telling me something that seems contrary to God's word. Sounds like I'm being punished for something I did that he told me to do. Am, am I just whacked or is that what I'm reading in Scripture? There's some storyline here yet. So here it is. I will inflict it on you. Do you notice that? Three years of famine... They were familiar with famine. Famine was not a new thing. It's not like Noah, he says, you're going to have a flood. And they've never seen rain. No, instead, this is a famine, and they understand famine. Matter of fact, that's what drove them into Egypt, which ended up causing them 400 years of slavery and bondage. See? So they understand famine. And then he says, here's your other choice, would be three months of fleeing from your enemies. Do you remember David had fled from his enemies? He'd been pursued by the Philistines. He'd been pursued even by King Saul. He's used to this. He was run out of town by his own son, Absalom. He's been chased all over him, tired of running. David has an option to choose something that he knows of famine. He knows of this here, which is fleeing before his enemies. 
And then there's this three days of severe plague throughout your land. He understands the plagues, even the plagues of Egypt and those that, which came down through Moses. He, these were legendary. He understands how severe the plague can be. Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. And here's what in verse 14, I think, coming up. Yeah, there it is. Thank you. It says, I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. How many know that's wise? Huh? You don't want to give yourself to human hands. You know, today we choose a jury of our peers. You know what I want? I want the jury that God assigns. See what I mean? I want him just to be the judge. And if there's other people who are going to judge me, I prefer for it to be those who are appointed by you, God. If I was going before a jury trial, that's my prayer. I may have to do this because of a human court, but I'm fully looking at you, just judge, to be the one to determine my fate and the outcome. I'm in a desperate situation. So what do we do when you've heard from God and you were just trying to be obedient to Him and you found calamity and now it seems like you're getting some penalty for it? Something bad is happening. This wasn't what I signed up for. Why didn't the tornado spare the church and destroy every wicked place around it? Why was the strip club left standing and the church is destroyed? That seems really whacked out to me, God. It's okay. I'm going to speak however I want to speak, but I've got something I'm telling you. Will you be wise enough to search it out and find out? So here it is, verse 15. David did the right thing saying, hey, I'm not deciding. I'm not choosing. You tell me. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. A total of You can do a lot with three days, by the way. Death, burial, resurrection. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. 70,000 people died as a result of one man's obedience. Doesn't sound fair, does it? Remember, he's a just God. So it says, but as the Lord, as, as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop. That is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was, was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. Well, great, David, but you should have said that 70,000 lives earlier. Sometimes we're slow to get what God might be saying. And we could have prevented something if we would have thought about it. Maybe we should have sought another voice and get some counsel. That's part of the solution. I'm the one who sinned and done wrong. That's why as a pastor, when calamity is coming upon the body, I look first and say, God, what have I done? Have I failed you somehow? Did I not respond to you? Is it whatever it is in me, God, I want the three-day, but please give me the three-day version. Give me the death, burial, and resurrection. I don't want 40 years. I don't want them to pay a penalty. So I do that. I take serious. That's a serious factor for me is I go before God first saying it's me, not them. It's me. That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. 
When Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Aruna asked. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. Aruna surely would have heard of all the calamity and 70,000 people and all of a sudden what is happening. And it seems that somehow this relationship between God and David, that he says to the Lord, my king, he's, he's referring to David not as the guy who brought this, this tragedy and this, this, uh, all this disaster upon him, but he's looking at it like, you know, I've got to take care of, I recognize the Lord's anointed. Matter of fact, if you go back and look at history and understand culture for the oxen, that's going to do the work of his land and, and the threshing boards and the yokes and everything else. This was a great sacrifice that Aruna was giving in addition to his land. Sometimes we give him something and we think that we're doing so amazing, some big amazing feat for him. And really, it's, it's not, that's, that's not what he's after. David understood it. You know it because you follow it through here. So it says, but the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. That's a different sermon itself, but paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. What an exercise. Jumping through hoops. Seeing this, this whole calamity. Surely, God, you know that somebody's going to read this someday. And they're going to go like, what? I don't understand. So should we be obedient to God and respond to his voice? The, the or do we make it that he's got to shout, that he's got to, there's got to be several things. Does he make the, you know, the, 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 does he make the fleece wet and everything around it dry? Or does he make the fleece dry and everything else around it wet? Shouldn't there be a test? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we test what causing me, I don't understand this. Why would God do that? 70,000. He should have just taken David, one for 70,000. It's a good ratio. David built an offering. And the Lord accepted that. He answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Here's, here's a couple quick things and we're going to do communion. Question the source. Has God said? Question it. Verify it. Do what you can to, to understand that and know it. Don't keep it to yourself and then just respond. People have killed abortion doctors because they said God said. Stop it. No, that's not the voice of God. The next thing is, in conjunction with that, is to say, why is this happening? You should inquire of the Lord himself. Don't rely on what you've heard. Go back to him now in prayer. Humble yourself and say, God, no. Here, here's, here's the problem. Is there another way that honors God and people in the midst of it? Is there another way that honors God and people? 
Why do you want me to number the people? Because what it was, the bottom line is, is when you number the people, God knew what that was coming to. That was coming to the pride that would be inside that you're the ruler over all these people. What do we say? Million, three hundred thousand? And he never wanted it to be a matter of what you could do. He says, I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to be your king. When you go into the promised land, this land that I promise you, I will fight for you. Wow. And yes, you'll fight, but I will be with you. And the only occasion where they got their, their, they lost was a little battle of Ai. And it was because of sin in the camp. Joshua, the leader, didn't seek the Lord in prayer before. He waited till after. But otherwise, hey, you walk around that city, guess what the walls are going to do? You do it every day, as many times as I tell you, and then on this day you do it this number, and you shout, and then the walls will fall down. If that's you and me, we would have said, make the walls fall down, and then we'll shout. Wouldn't we? <laughs> Praise God, he really did something. Yay! Finally. No, he calls you to obedience. Is there another way that honors God? David should have, he had that. The anger of the Lord incited him. The anger of the Lord. And so it's a matter of he says, go and do this. No, no, wait a minute, God. I don't need that. There would have been a humbling. There could have been a different way to work around this. There was a response that David could have taken that we have wisdom for today to know that he, he could have contended for the people in a different way. He could have said, God, I recognize like Moses that I'm standing between you're angry with your people, but don't destroy the people because when you destroy the people, it brings reproach upon you. So David could have contended that way. Verse 14 there that I read, it says, trust God ultimately, not man. That's what he turned back to. He says, I know I'm supposed to trust you. I don't know why I took the census. I knew that's the wrong thing to do. He wants to see that's the permissive will. Will you do what he gives you room to slide over into. And you could justify because you said God said. Stop it. There's something wrong about the heart there. That's not enough. You took the easy way out. You serious? You want me to decide when I'm angry? I'm angry at you and David come to understand that. Why? Because you didn't stand in the gap. You didn't question why you would want me to do this. I would have told you something different, possibly. But at least you should have done it. Don't just run headlong into that stuff. How many of you found calamity when you thought God was there and you found out that it wasn't? That's not because God was bad. God wanted you to wrestle with that a little bit. He doesn't mind that. That's what we get from Jacob, don't we? That's where we got the nation Israel. Because after wrestling with God, it says he changes his name and now he's Israel. You want to know where Israel came from? There it is, Jacob. Made a covenant that day. And Jacob left with a limp. Here's, here's the other thing we learned from Aruna. Find someone who has something you need. Folks, we're not meant to take this journey alone. We're not supposed to make it all happen. We're not supposed to, 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 to try to figure it all out. We're supposed to link arms. We're supposed to hold hands. We're supposed to be... As one body united under the headship of Jesus Christ. So that's what he does. He goes, he, he had land. The king had land. Do you guys know kings had land? They still have land. He didn't need land. 
He needed what was right there. And to do that, I could either come in and claim eminent domain or I can purchase that from you because I understand sacrifice and I know what the Lord's after now. Find someone who has something you need. Find someone godly who has something you need. Recognize your responsibility. It's one of the biggest things we can do, folks, is recognize if you got sin and you know you brought calamity, own it. Well, that's the next one. Take ownership. You've got to recognize your responsibility. Now I can fix this because I'm the one that responded. I'm the one who did this. I brought this on. So I take responsibility for it. What do you want me to do, God? And then take ownership simply means you're not looking to somebody else to make. King could have said, hey, you, you go, yeah, you're big. and You make a sacrifice. You go buy some land. You go do this. Delegate. That's what the wisdom of the world says today. Hey, delegate, delegate. No, maybe it's not for you to delegate. Maybe it's for you to get on your knees. Maybe you're the one as a king supposed to humble yourself. Even when somebody wants to give you that kind of honor to bow before you and tell you they'll give you everything. Come on, don't you crave some of that? You want to be the boss. You want somebody to recognize how awesome you are. Huh? You want it to go your way. Oh, I'm telling you, that's what our culture is all about, isn't it? You want to be in charge. Instead, here he is. He, he, this, this guy who owns the land, he recognizes, and, and David says, no, no, I'm paying you. I'm not going to use my authority. I'm not using my position. I'm not, I am made low by this. That's what God was after. And the final thing is make a sacrifice because a sacrifice is what changes stuff. That's the way God changed the sin condition when he covered Adam and Eve from the very beginning. It's the way he does for you and me when he covers us with the blood of Jesus Christ. He saves us. He takes us from this place into this place. It's always a good place where he takes us. Moses says, if you don't go with us, we're not going. If you don't find him there, if you won't find him there, you don't go there. If he doesn't lead you, don't have him follow you. You don't want him following you. You want him leading you, don't you? So in the narrative, in the end, the whole thing is for you and me today is that we recognize that we get to test that spirit that, yes, there's sometimes if we want revival, if we want miracles, if we want signs, if we want wonders, there will be some skin off of our back. Not because we have to, because Jesus, all the skin was taken off his back. That's what brings us to communion. And yes, it should be some skin off your back because you share in the sufferings of Christ because that's what it's like not being able to, to use the authority sometimes to, to do what you want to do or the way you see fit and to just call fire down. No, instead, there might be a humbling that you need to do and become like the suffering servant. And you need to become like the lamb who is led to slaughter. It may be that God's looking for a sacrifice in the first place. And he's not wanting us to use our authority or our position. He's not wanting us to survey how much money we own or what our possessions are or how many people are in our charge. Do you see the problem? That's the problem. And he knew that as good as David was, a man after his own heart, he knew that there was still this little thing going on inside. And he knew this. David had become comfortable as king and was used to giving orders to people. And did he really, had he, had he grown to where 
like, like many times army and, and military are faced with, is it's called the, the, what is it, the casualties of war? What's that called? Yeah, but there's a word for it that, that literally describes, I'll get it here in a second. That's called the, um, come on, Lord. Bottom line is, this is what it's going to cost us. This is what it's going to do, how many lives, to, to, to take that hill. Anybody know the word yet? What is it? Yeah, acceptable. Anyway, I'll get that word and give it to you somehow, somewhere. Bottom line is, Google it. You can find it. The, the word is, these are the casualties of war. This is what we can expect. This is the ratio. The, 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 this is what it's going to take. Potentially, this is what, how, much, how many lives will be lost in, this, in, in taking this, uh, this, this place, in, in fighting this battle. They have an, a reasonable estimate of casualties. That's what they do. Who, before you build that house, wouldn't first consider the cost? The military considers the cost, what it's going to take, how many lives potentially will be lost in this endeavor. That's what they do. Did David do that? David didn't do that. David responded immediately without questioning, wait a minute, why are you, why are you, what are you doing this for? I know your anger is against them, but in this position, I should have the history of Moses with me that says, I'm going to stand, wait a minute, God, because I know you're angry with the people, but I stand as a priest and as a king, I stand in this place to defend the people. Well, let me tell you now, that story brings us right up to, to communion, because that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus has stood in that gap. He stood in that place of judgment. He stands in that place and he says, no, don't take them, take me. And unlike King David or anybody else, any other man who could ever come along, you or I, he was the one who was acceptable. He was the one who was perfect. He was the one, because he's God, who could actually satisfy then the anger of God. So this story brings us full circle into a sacrifice that was given once and for all, and it wasn't a matter of what you could do any longer. It's a matter of what Christ has done for you on your behalf. Did you know that's the real reason you're here this morning? Is because you've come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you're drawn, and you're compelled. And if, if, you've, been, if, if, if you've been out of touch, and if you're not reading your Bible, and you're not praying that He's relentless in His love and pursuit of you, and he's wooing you back, and he doesn't want to burn your house down, and he doesn't want to, to have a, a tornado come out of nowhere. He doesn't, he doesn't want calamity for you, though that may happen. What he really wants is he wants fellowship with you. And that's what we have in communion. In just a minute, Joseph's going to lead us on a final song, but right now we're going to go ahead and receive communion. So if you have, a, does everybody have one, a little, little uh, cup? If you don't, I'll... We've got some here. You got one? Anybody need one? Okay. I'm just going to pass it back if you just keep passing it. I'm going to instruct you to, to um, just take the plastic, the little clear plastic off the top, leave the foil down because that, that's securing the, the juice. So what we have here is it's, it's, uh, on the night, if you go ahead and let's stand. That's a good gesture, folks. It says that on the night he was betrayed, that he took the bread, and the bread was the bread that they had there, okay? And it says that he took that bread, and then he said, this is my body. No, it's not your body. It's your, it's, that's the bread. No, it's my body. 
well, it's, yeah, but it was the bread. Yeah, it's gonna, this is representative of my body. My body, which will be broken for you, you don't even know what's about to happen. But God's in charge. And Jesus, knowing this, he says, my body, which will be broken for you, for what reason? So you don't have to live broken lives. I'll be broken so you don't have to be broken. I want you to be whole. And the only way for you to be whole is to have an audience with Papa. And the only way you can have an audience with Papa is if I open the door for you, prop it open, and nobody else can close it. Now let me ask you, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That means, Lord means boss, king. Savior means recognizing that on the cross he purchased your eternity. That Greg entered into eternity on Wednesday night. To be dead is absent from this body and present with God. He didn't make any stopovers. He didn't go anywhere to get made good enough. He couldn't make himself good enough. Jesus made him good enough. So you can't make yourself good enough. I don't care how pretty you are, how fancy you dress, how much money you own, how many times you've been to church. You will not get there. And the certainty of death, it's still in the air. Now let me ask you, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you? to deliver you from evil. And if you have, then we're ready to receive of this bread. And if you haven't, then what we need to do is just pray to receive that. Let me ask you that question across the room. Is there anybody in here when I say, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And if you don't know if you'd go to heaven, if you think you'd go to hell, then we need to talk before we do this. So I'm just going to ask those of you who have questions in your heart, I'm going to ask you to hold yours aside. Otherwise, this is just bread. You, you actually, by taking this in a manner unworthy, the Bible says, you call down judgment upon yourself. For the rest of us, we're going to ask God to purify our hearts once again, because we probably said some stuff, done some stuff, been some places, thought some things, did stuff with our hands that, that we weren't pleasing to God. And so what we're going to do is ask for his mercy and a shower of forgiveness that's going to clean, clean us up right now. Can we do that? And I'm going to pray for that clarity of conscience for anybody in the room who you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ as Savior. Some of us might have to ask God to forgive us because we really haven't been following Him as Lord. We've been kind of the boss, and we like it that way. We like the permissive side of God, letting us be the boss or think that we're the boss. So you'll have to repent that way. Some of you, you have those sin conditions in your life. You know, I lied this week. Huh? Pastor lied? Yep, lied. Not covering it up. I appreciate what one person told me when the, they were telling me that they really owed an excuse or a reason why not to do something or they didn't do it. And they said, I'm not making any excuses. They just refused to make excuses. And I thought, wow, God, help me that way. Later on, I'm thinking, I can't believe she was thinking about making excuses. Meanwhile, there I was. I didn't make an excuse. I just lied. I thought, hmm, ouch. Ouch! Ouch! Because I felt like in that, I just crucified the Lord afresh. Just a little lie? Yeah, but that's not the issue. The issue is my soul. The issue is His Lordship. The, the issue is integrity. So you know what I had to do? Tell the person I just lied. 
This morning I'm joking about it, but, you know, like at the beginning, like I was going to lie, but I couldn't lie. Oh, I can lie. Anybody else in the room? Can you lie? How many of you are liars? Anybody in the room? Just go ahead and be on. Raise your hand up. How many of you are liars? Oh, he's not here right now. You're a liar if they're there, right? Oh, I didn't feel well. Lie. So here's the deal. I lied. I'm, I'm not telling you that so you look bad at me or judge me or wag your finger at me. I'm doing that because that's honest. And as I'm coming here and I'm thinking, wow, God, before I received communion, you know, there was that thing. And I repented immediately because that's what you did to me. You said it, so I told the person even. Now I just cause them to wonder if I'm, if how many other times I lie. Now I gave it all to you so you can question how many times I lie. Is he telling the truth? He didn't say to be honest with you. You know what? When you repent and you don't want to go there again, you expose that to somebody else who can hold you accountable. I don't want to have this secret stuff in my life. I want it to be known so that people can see it in me and say, well, wait a minute, that seems like you just lied. Yeah, you're right. Well, stop it. All right, if you're not good, let's, let's seek him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the conviction that you bring. I don't want you to leave anything out, God. I want you to bring it full. I want to have my, that I'm pure before you. As we receive communion this morning, that God, there's nothing, no sin condition that you haven't totally cleansed and washed away that we haven't responded to and repented of. So God, forgive us. We're asking for your forgiveness. And we make nothing light of our sin. And we need you. And we need your Holy Spirit. And so this morning as we receive afresh this, which is your body, we want you, God, to give us this daily bread. Make it a daily walk that is more powerful, more empowered than we have ever been, more anointed than we've ever been because of your presence in us. So we receive right now in the brokenness of the body of Christ, we receive your provision that we might walk in victory. In Jesus' name. For those who might not have been able to receive that because you're not sure about eternity, you're not sure if you go to heaven or hell, or maybe you are sure you'll go to hell, then you need to come up. I'm going to ask Kevin. He'll come forward, and the prayer team will be here this morning. And we want to, uh, it's, it's rather simple to accept Christ. It's difficult to walk it out. He made it easy for us to come, but he's, it's a difficult task because we've got our whole life behind us that we're, we've got habits. Amen? On the night that he was betrayed, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, knowing just how severe the beating was going to be, knowing that um, he was going to put himself into the hands of man, he would do, unlike his counterpart, David, his ancestor, and he says, I'm going to put my life in the hands of man, but I know the outcome is in the hands of Papa. So thank you, Father, that you never relinquished being God, being sovereign. And thank you that you made a way for us. Thank you you chose to do that in Jesus, your son, And he stood in the gap, and he purchased 
eternity for each and every one of us. We thank you for forgiveness, which you have given to us through the blood of the Lamb, the perfect one. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, which is, has given us freedom now, given us a new way to walk, a new way to live. And Father, we receive in Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was poured out for us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to, um, to just, Joseph's going to sing. It's kind of a special. We'll just stay stand. I'll pray a final blessing.